Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. So we haven't been sued yet. Thank you for the concern. Many of you have been in touch because you were worried about us, but we published Jaron Kerr's investigation of the WE movement this past Monday. I am recording on a Wednesday. We have not heard from them or their lawyer yet. Their executive directors did issue an internal memo to their staff at WE saying, don't worry about this article. It's from a fringe group with a limited reach and few people will ever read that story. So it seems like for now their thinking is that nobody will notice our story. And and my guess is that their strategy at this point is like, why sue them? Why draw more attention to it with a lawsuit? I hope I don't eat those words, but that's what it seems like at the moment. But we are not done Jaron Kerr has been inundated with new information since publishing, dozens of new sources, troves of documents. And I wouldn't mention that to you if I hadn't had a look at what's coming in and concluded that, yes, there is material in there that needs to be reported on. However, Jaron is not budgeted for. We never raised specific crowdfunding with which to pay him. We have not run ads against his journalism. The work that he's doing on the WE organization, which is like some of the best work we've done comes at a loss for Canada land financially. I want Jaron to report out the leads that he has. He wants to do that too. And I want to keep him on the team after that. I want to keep him on and hire him as a full-time staff reporter here at Canada land. Any news organization would be really stupid to let him slip away if they were able to keep him. And I want to be able to keep him. And that is why if we reach our next goal, this crowdfunder, Jaron Kerr will be offered a permanent full-time job with us. And he has told me that he is very interested in that job. And everyone else here, except for me, will get a raise as well when we reach that goal. So please support us. You will get all of our podcasts ad-free with $5 or more per month. And a ton of other rewards are available. So do go to patreon.com 
slash CanadaLand. Stephen Joe. Hello. Freelance journalist. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Today we are going to talk about reports from a credible website that Sue Ann Levy is slaughtering scapegoats inside the Toronto Sun's offices. Yeah, it's a weird one. Also, pivot to video, plie to podcasting, sison to streaming, collapse to your death. How Facebook's bullshit metrics cost a lot of reporters their jobs. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Travis Thompson, Sandy Klovac, Gabriel Allen Collins, Tom Peace, Denise Wolowitz, Yunus Muhammad, Tove Fenger, and Marcello Bersonzi. Listen to Canada Land because I'm a, a recent immigrant and I need to understand what this weird country of yours is about. Stephen, this is such a crazy story. I think maybe we should start with you just kind of laying it out for us. It really centers around the hotel, the Radisson Hotel in Toronto East. And basically, you have this huge amount of attention right now focused on the quote-unquote refugee claimants issue or the quote-unquote illegal migrants issue. Irregular migrants, I guess, choose your terminology. Exactly. Um, On the 28th of last month in September, three people uh, who identify as, you know, parts of the alt-right or the far-right took their cameras and went to this hotel and started running around the uh, hallways to record uh, what they say or what they interpret as like evidence that the refugee migrants were trashing the hotel and taking advantage of the charity that was shown to them by Canadians, paid for by Canadian taxpayers. And they were pointing to markings on the walls or drawings on the walls made by kids, overflowing trash bins and that kind of thing. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hopefully it's chocolate milk. Why is this necessary? Like art? Refugee art? Yep, classic. With oh, was that shit? Yeah, don't touch anything on the wall. Look at this, guys. It says free money. Look at this. Free money on the wall. Arrow that way. This is unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Free money with a freaking arrow. Free they money. know. Come to Canada and you get free money. They uploaded that video uh, the next day. And right around that time, uh, Sue Ann Levy at The Sun wrote a column about pretty much the same thing, but substantiated by these TripAdvisor and Expedia reviews online. And right after that, you had Faith Goldie, who's running for mayor, open kind of white nationalist as well, hold a press conference right outside of that hotel. And using the building as a backdrop, she started saying how she's the only candidate, if elected, who's going to evacuate Canada of these, quote unquote, illegal migrants, even though claimants, once they get to Canada, they have their their day in front of the refugee board and they get to stay in, in these facilities until they get that day in front of the board. And actually that very that very night after um, Goldie left the premises at around 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m., somebody went into that hotel, uh, went to the third floor with a gas canister and shoved a rag in the nozzle and lit it on fire. That set off a smoke alarm. Somebody working in the hotel heard, obviously tracked down the the canister and kicked it into the stairwell and diffused the situation. That's basically the kind of string of events that have led the people living there to be very, very afraid for their safety, actually. All right, let me me try to summarize that and fill in a couple of blanks here. So, you know, there's this uh, Radisson northeast of Toronto, and I think... What is it? 570 of these um, irregular migrants, mostly from Nigeria? About half or so. Yeah. Okay. They have been placed there. And depending on how you look at it, that's either kind of like a horrible state of limbo as you don't know what happens next. And you're mm-hmm. kind of like you're very far from the center of the city and you're, everyone's just in this hotel wondering what happens next. Yeah. Or from, I think, uh, what is going on. While, like, And it's not just Faith Goldie and Sue and Levy and the Sun. This is sort of spread throughout the right wing network. Here they are like living it up. Exactly. Expensive hotel rooms on the tax paradigm, thanks to the softy Justin Trudeau. And then this idea starts spreading that they are trashing the place. And I think that the the part of this that I think caught Sue Ann Levy's eye and that she uncritically repeated was in the TripAdvisor ratings. And so people would, you know, there are still rooms in that hotel that people can rent. And people were like, oh, no one warned me that there'd be all these refugees here. And some of the people were, you know, just saying that it was unpleasant. And some people were saying quite racist things. Mm -hmm. and somebody said that they had slaughtered a goat right. in, in a bathroom. And, yes. and uh, I think that that's the kind of headline grabber that um, Sue Ann Levy, you said she that she substantiated her piece with these uh, TripAdvisor reviews. She said, from the credible website TripAdvisor, I suppose that's technically true that that's what she used to substantiate what she was saying. Substantiate is um, an overly generous term, I guess. In this I guess case. That's, that is the extent of the substantiation because... The Radisson says that that never happened. No, no one has ever slaughtered a goat. We have no indication from anywhere that's what happened. Yeah. But she just repeated that. And that fed into, I think, that InfoWars picked it up. I, a I, lot of places. I yeah. think Prison Planet at InfoWars picked it up. It went viral in certain circles, for sure. And then Faith Goldie's press event. And then a an attempted bombing, an attempted firebombing. What we're hearing now 
from Sue Ann Levy and Joe Warmington, who's got her back, mm-hmm. is, well, the cops said that there's no proof that this is related to Sue Ann Levy's column or from the Faith Goldie thing. Right. And I suppose that's... I mean, that's true. And I think, you know, it's good to be careful about these things, even though, you know, for external observers, this thing happening in the midst of this string of incidents draws a lot of suspicion. I think that's warranted. But in terms of the the way I think the Toronto Sun sort of carried this out and published this stuff, I mean, on the one hand, you have this issue of, okay, TripAdvisor stuff, Expedia stuff is very difficult to verify, some of the reviews. And the website had to stop reviews from being written and posted about that hotel because they were so suspicious. They were like, oh my God, like a lot of these people... They just don't seem to be firsthand experiences, and that's their rule, right? Like, it, you can't comment on this. Unless you stayed at the hotel. Unless you ever stayed at the hotel or you had some kind of, like, like firsthand experience, right? I was, I was wondering, is that baked into their comment system? Like, uh, do you have to say that you stayed at that hotel, or do they actually verify? Like, it, It's it, incredibly unclear. And is it just like if you just go to Expedia and book a room there, does that then open up commenting? Because there's a lot of people in the right wing sphere who would certainly do that in order to put that kind of commentary. Right, so there's no real mechanism to make sure that okay, what you're reading is exactly it. You just kind of have to use your intuition. Okay, so that's one thing. Okay, obviously, whatever's written there, as a journalist, if you care about facts, you ought to go and verify what you what you read on there. Yeah. Because just common sense would tell you that a lot of this is probably true. A lot of it is probably not true, especially for a hotel like that, where it's housing refugee claimants. But also... And this concerns the people staying there, the claimants who are staying there a lot more. And it feeds, this feeds into their fear for their safety, is that the Sun had no problem with taking pictures of these people and posting it online. Of the people who have been placed in this hotel, like mothers with their strollers, that's the photo. That's right. Now, there's no indication in Sue Ann Levy's coverage. She's sort of designated herself now as um, I think they list her as an investigative columnist, which is sort of a new thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, columnists have always, good columnists should be reporting what they write about and not just commenting. But The Sun, now that I think they have fewer news reporters than they've ever had, mm-hmm. what we hear from them again and again is from their really vitriolic columnists who are now rebranded as investigative columnists because that's who we're getting the news through. It seems that Sue Ann Levy based this all on TripAdvisor reviews. If she went to that hotel, there's no indication of it in peace. Did you go? We should say you reported on this for Vice, uh, yes. Stephen. So did you go to that hotel? I did go. The management there is very cagey about people reporting inside the hotel. So I was actually, when I went there in the morning, I was kicked out. I didn't get to spend too much time inside. What happens... And people have been going there to harass the people who are... Well, that's or, what I found out later, yeah. right? And it ends up being the same people who want to talk because nobody else wants to talk. Yeah. Nobody else wants to talk because if you're seeking asylum, okay, you don't want any problems. Sure. You don't want to be in front of like cameras, okay? You don't want the public eye on you. Well, and how are you to tell a Toronto Sun from a CBC, you know? You've exactly. got some reporters coming in there who are going to take your picture, associate it with goat slaughter, and then the next thing you know, there's somebody setting off a firebomb. Exactly. So... The Toronto Sun photo incident, okay, attached to the second of Sue Ann Levy's. Yeah, she's been banging this drum. She's written about it twice. Twice, yeah, exactly. That photo really, really scared people because that was like, I think, a handful of women Uh with, with their kids, and many of their faces are pretty clear. In the minds of these migrants, many of them have escaped their original countries. 
because many of them fear that there are people out there, particularly from those countries, who want to do them harm. And if their faces end up online, that may end up indicating where they're living as of this moment. So they don't. The Toronto Sun wants to do them harm. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, okay. First of all, yes, let's just cover this all here. And you mentioned before, you've got to be careful about these things because we do care about the facts. It is possible that you can take some dubious TripAdvisor reviews, Mm -hmm. making an unsubstantiated claim of goat slaughter in a bathroom, put that in a newspaper and call it credible, and then have Faith Goldie do a press event and have that message spread throughout the right-wing internet. And then a firebombing that occurs right after that, it is possible that is unrelated. And it's very possible that it is related, mm-hmm. and we're going to wait and see what the cops have to say. Yep. What I can say with certainty is that the practices of Sue Ann Levy and the Toronto Sun in this story are beneath the standard of any newspaper I'm aware of. To include that material from the TripAdvisor reviews, to show the faces of those women who, even if we're going to give any credibility to this idiotic goat thing, there's no connection between those people and that claim besides that they live in that hotel where that's like the whole thing is just such gutter trash. I'm struggling to control the words that I use here, but I want to be clear about something here. The Toronto sun has become an anti Islam propaganda newspaper and the things that they publish are going to have an impact on people's lives and could very well get people hurt or killed if that hasn't happened already. I'm not going to moralize about there are still journalists at the Sun, fewer than ever. And I'm not just talking about the existing news reporters there. There's people whose job it is to lay out that newspaper. There's people whose job it is, is on the web end. There's people whose job it is to take that photograph. And I don't think that they are feeling very good about themselves right now. I'm going to mm-hmm. go ahead and I think as people who like for many, many years, the Sun was, it leaned right and it was sort of like the working man's newspaper, Mm. but it was a newspaper. They broke stories, they reported stories, you know, like they were in the same profession as the rest of us. And I think that the people who are there who remember that and who are still feel that they are a part of that, Mm. of this uh, profession, trade, of this discipline, they don't feel great about what they're being asked to do. I'm not going to say this is on you and you got to quit. I don't know what your situation is, but you can tell us about it. You can tell Canada Land, like, I want to know, because the thing, Stephen, like, what I can't figure out is why the sun has taken this radical term. Like, they are worse than the rebel now. I'm not saying this in some suggestive way. I do not know what is compelling this newspaper to betray any pretense towards decency or accuracy. And there's stuff going on behind the scenes that I'm very curious about. And I think that there are people who work there who probably want that to be known, too. So we're listening. Stephen, it's your first time here co-hosting Shortcuts. You may be aware that every now and then there's a story that deserves wider coverage than it receives. We happen to have a little corner of the show dedicated to such stories where we note duly that which has been overlooked. We call it duly noted. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a lot of words to explain that. Do you have uh, a duly noted for us today? One thing I've been thinking about and I've been working on is the new neighborhood policing program by the Toronto Police Service that um, just got expanded in uh, the beginning of October. Mm -hmm. There's been coverage about it. Like, there's been kind of like one-dimensional coverage about it by a few places, a few newspapers. But I think the idea behind it is that, you know, you have these cops in new uniforms and they're supposed to be a friendlier face of policing and they spend four years in designated neighborhoods across the city. They still carry guns and can arrest people, but 
the idea is that they form a relationship with the people that they're policing. And I think the coverage around that, even though this program has been around for about five years and, you know, there are ways to assess whether or not it's worked, I feel like the coverage thus far about its latest expansion into eight new neighborhoods throughout the city has been rather uncritical, I think. And I think there's a context here. Like, there are What's the technical term? There's a shit ton of cops in Toronto. Like there's just like we are so heavily policed and the police union is always hire more cops, hire more cops. Mm -hmm. So this issue of do we do we need less cops or more is a highly politicized issue. And there's an incredibly strong uh, lobbying pressure from the police. And so what's a good news policing story is like neighborhood cop on the beat. I wonder if that has something to do with, the, like, you know, what's behind this? Well, yeah, I think the idea is that, OK, you have you know, this summer of, of shootings, even though as, as far as I can tell, you know, okay, yeah, we have a lot more victims uh, in the past few months. We've had a lot more deaths in the past few months, but overall, the number of shootings as compared to the past couple of years has been maybe a 10, 15, 16% increase in total increase. But we've, we've had shootings now in neighborhoods that people don't usually associate shootings with, and that's making a lot of people nervous. I think the program, the neighborhood policing program, is sort of, you know, using that as an excuse, as like the impetus for right. expansion. And my problem with it is that, okay, so you obviously, you know, you talk to the architects of the program and you figure out what it's about. But what about talking to people who've been living through it for the past five years? Duly noted. You went serious. I have another serious thing to duly note. Uh, it's a serious problem, hackers these days. Apparently... What they're doing is they're hacking the accounts of journalists and they are tweeting a link to a piece of pornography and then they're just not doing anything else to make it look like you like porn. That's what Peter Mansbridge says happened to him. There was one like on Mansbridge's Twitter account. He liked a tweet from Renee Queen Porn, uh, hot mom's XXX wife, wife's interracial porn, bang with me. And Peter Mansbridge wants you to know that is not a piece of pornography that he liked accidentally, non-accidentally. He does not like that. He doesn't like it. He was hashtag hacked. Wow. I didn't know about that. That's all I want you to know. Duly noted. So, Stephen, Facebook. Yes. More news about Facebook for the news industry. Is it good news or bad news? Take a guess. Bad news? It is bad news. How do I set this up here? Like, essentially... Why don't I make it about me? When I started Candleland five years ago and told people I was launching a podcast, sort of before the podcast thing kind of had its reemergence, people were like, why are you doing a podcast and not video? Video, video, video. Video. You should be making videos. We made a few mm -hmm. videos. They take a long time to make a good video, but video was where it was at for like getting huge numbers. You know, if you wanted to have hundreds of thousands, millions of views, you know, just like entire news organizations that all they did was put videos on Facebook. Advertisers going crazy for video. The CPMs you'd get, like the cost per meal, the the rates for putting advertising against videos, just blew away anything that you'd get for written content. And entire news organizations pivoted to video. That was the jargon. Let's pivot to video. They fired a lot of reporters yeah. to free up the resources to have like suddenly every newspaper is like a TV station that's got to have like camera people and, you know, camera ready presentable hosts. And, and these videos, like, you know, they just are in your Facebook newsfeed because that's what you're making them for. You're making them for Facebook, not for your website. They've got to grab you in like three seconds, but that's where the money was at. And all these organizations pivoted to video. 
hasn't worked out so well. The ad rates for video ads have, I'm not going to say collapsed, softened. And a lot of those video teams that had been hired have now been laid off and entire organizations reoriented their organizations around video are now downscaling massively. So all of that is to say, what did we just learn this week? We just learned that Facebook has exaggerated video views as much as 900%. This came out through a lawsuit. It was two years ago that this started and Facebook said, okay, like they put out a little press release, like not a big deal, not a big deal. Here's what we've been doing. We have been calculating video views. We've been looking at the average amount of time spent on a video. We've been looking at like the total number of views divided into the amount of footage watched. And we come up with a number there. What we should have been doing is just looking at the like unique viewers, right? Cause you know, maybe like one person sees a video a couple times or something like that. And they were only counting videos that were viewed for more than three seconds. Yeah. I mean, from the start, this was known from the start that Facebook's video stats were pumped up because right. their criteria for what constitutes a view was if you've watched three seconds of it. Right. And YouTube has, I think, a much higher standard before they'll count it as a view. And so that just gave you like, oh, look, a million people have looked at my video. And, you know, you tell the public that and you're like, wow, a million people have looked at this video. I want to look at it too. So that just became a really, really frothy place for video advertising. And they said two years ago, this is like a 16% discrepancy, you know, and, and we'll deal with it. So what's come out through this trove of documents through the lawsuit is that, in fact, it is much greater than that, which makes a lot of sense because if you're counting me every time and not even when I like click on a video, because that's the other thing. It's not just the three seconds. It's that Facebook videos autoplay, right? I don't know about you, but I see the same Facebook videos over and over again, maybe as much as nine times per video. So the stats that they're getting of the person who didn't click on the video, who just watched it for a few seconds, or it was playing for a few seconds, I suppose, while they were scrolling their newsfeed, they may have seen that video nine times and they were counted as nine different people who saw that video and they might not have even seen it once. And so all of those video views that advertisers were paying for, it looks like as much as 900% inflation in the actual traction that that video had. That's a lot. <laughs> so all of this has me thinking about just like... You know, we kind of blame in the news business, the internet writ large mm -hmm. for destroying the news business. And if we get specific, we say Facebook and Google. I kind of feel like as the dust settles and we see like how we got fucked over, it's Facebook. You know, it's like if you really isolate like what was the impact that Facebook had on the news, it's like that's why everybody decided to give news away for free. That's what drove advertising rates way down. That's what leveled the playing field. And like this part I have two minds of because I think it should be leveled. But like that's what allowed a lot of the, you know, actual fake news from Macedonia and bad actors to, you know, bring in like absolutely fake material that looks legitimized. That's what led news teams to scramble desperately into this video thing. That led to ruination. And now that the fake news thing has bit Facebook in the ass, what is their answer? They're degrading news in everyone's news feed overall. So the entire industry's traffic on Facebook has like been cut, like, I don't know, 25 to 50% I read. So like because of the fake news problem, we're just delivering less news and the newspapers make less money. Like Facebook has done a number on the news business. I mean, none of it has worked for any of the news organizations. Like just, it's so depressing. It's like when I was reading this, it's, it's very devastating, man. Like now everybody who's working in video is now losing their, their jobs, like... I don't know. What's, what's next? I have no idea. It's really rough. I mean, we just like 
I'm not going to pretend that I knew this was coming, but I, I wanted to make podcasts. So we built this company on podcasting. We built it on direct support from our listeners. So we're not dependent on Facebook. We watched as our traffic got cut in half, but we don't make any money off that traffic. So it didn't really have an impact on us. But I was like, wow, if this was like a revenue source for us, like what the hell? Yeah. Okay. So this links into something else that I just learned, which I'm going to like tell everybody about uh, for the first time here. A source of the CBC has informed me that on election night, this coming Monday in Ontario, CBC local news will not be covering election night results. Really? They're going to run the Murdoch mysteries instead. Now, that doesn't mean that TV news teams aren't covering the election. They're covering it for Facebook. CBC coverage will, oh, be, okay. will be streamed on Facebook and on CBC's app. But the CBC TV stream will be Murdoch Mysteries and people within the CBC are pissed off because like, okay, yes, everybody has Facebook, sure. But like, A, why are you doing this through a private company? Like there's a public broadcaster that is relying on everybody using this monstrously profitable private platform, mm -hmm. uh, just giving their footage through there. But more than that, like the one night where people really do turn to television to get their news is election night. It's like, what the hell is a public broadcaster doing if they are not covering an election campaign on their public television signal. I've never streamed an election coverage extensively on Facebook before, and I'm skeptical that other people are going to do that en masse. Stephen, as we were talking, I checked my email inbox. I've received comment back from CBC. This is from their spokesperson, Chuck Thompson. In planning our municipal election coverage, we considered a variety of options. As you might imagine, there are occasions when we sometimes have to manage competing priorities, including other programs in the primetime schedule and commitments to our advertisers. That said, on balance, we're confident that our coverage of major market municipal elections taking place across the country over the next week will bring those who are interested, those who are interested, extensive up-to-date news and analysis from the various races across all of our platforms. This will include continuous coverage on our website, live radio specials, live social election night specials, as well as results and reaction from Facebook and Twitter. Additionally, our late local television news teams will wrap up the day's events with further commentary and analysis. Best, Chuck. Wow. Stephen, thank you. Thank you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts for today. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at S-T-E-V-E-N-Z-Z-H-O-U. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. If you have not read Jaron Kerr's report on the WE movement, you should do so now. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Our serialized podcast, On Thunder Bay, debuts on Monday. You can subscribe to it right now and listen to a trailer. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And this is the month to do it, people. If you like what we do, we need your support at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.